As we near the end of 2021, with COVID-19 vaccines being disseminated and businesses around the world slowly reopening, it wouldn't be surprising if you, like so many of us, hoped the pandemic's end could also be near. Enter the Omicron variant. The discovery of a new coronavirus variant in South Africa has triggered a global alarm. The Omicron variant is in Europe. and With every passing hour, more cases are detected. Scientists around the world are racing to understand COVID's new mutant strain, the Omicron variant. As of today, it's now been identified in at least 17 states. As many of us search for information about what this new variant meant, and even how to pronounce it, governments reacted swiftly. The U.S., Brazil, Australia and Indonesia are among countries to bar travelers from southern African nations where the variant was first reported. And they also face swift backlash for those actions. Here's Dr. Ayode Alekija, the co-chair of the African Union's Africa Vaccine Delivery Alliance. Why are we locking away Africa when this virus is already on three continents? These travel bans are based in politics and not in science. It is wrong. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Today, we're assessing the global reaction to the Omicron variant and the allegations of injustice that surround it. So we're taking you to the center of this conversation, South Africa. My name is Famida Miller. I'm an Al Jazeera correspondent based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Where were you when you heard that the Omicron variant had been discovered in South Africa? We'd actually just returned from a deployment to Cape Town to do a number of features, very laid back, quite nice stories around things like jazz and the arts. And I'm just trying to give you a picture of our frame of mind. We had enjoyed the deployment. We returned to Johannesburg and we're working on those feature stories. And the news broke that a new variant had been detected. There were two ways to look at it. One, as a journalist, we knew, goodness, this is a story. But there was also a personal reaction in that we've been going through this for more than 18 months. We're heading towards two years and we just can't seem to get away from COVID-19. Just when you think there is some sort of reprieve, we had been planning for the holiday season, personal trips, professional trips. And this news comes out and just takes everything back to March 2020. It felt like deja vu. So you sat down with the South African doctor who discovered this new variant, Dr. Angelique Kotsia. What first tipped her off that her patients were dealing with a different type of COVID than we'd seen up until then? Well, what she was very clear about is that she didn't detect the variant specifically, but that she noticed unusual but mild symptoms in the patients who were coming to her practice. She noticed specifically younger men coming in with extreme fatigue. She says more than usual, which was strange. The first patient was a man, and they're not used to go uh, at that age group to come to the surgery. With just a simple complaint of, I've been tired for two days, extremely tired, doctor, this is not normal. At the same time, she also says their symptoms are mild. And I think we also go back to what doctors and 
scientists and experts around the world keep on telling us about severe illness versus mild symptoms. So you may feel terrible, but they still may consider it mild. So she picked up on these symptoms and then referred it to her colleagues. And that's where further investigations were done in terms of genome sequencing and figuring out just what was going on. So what systems were in place in South Africa that allowed her to sequence and identify this variant so quickly? Well, there are actually two parts to this question, and it's quite interesting because this also has led to the frustration felt by the South African public and I think also the scientific community. South Africa has very well-respected and very well-established genome sequencing laboratories and communities. South Africa not only traces disease within the country, but across Africa, where they look at things like malaria, tuberculosis, HIV, AIDS, Ebola. I believe we have some of the best scientists in the world. I actually believe our scientists are ahead of a lot of the other countries. So that kind of support scientific research has been in place. This is where Dr. Angelique Kutsia referred what she noticed. And from there, they discovered this new variant. What was it like for you sitting in that interview? You're sitting across from her and she's describing these symptoms of a new variant. What was going through your mind? It's always disappointing to hear of a new variant and any further complications in this battle against COVID-19. But Dr. Kutsia was also if I could use the word relaxed in terms of saying that we've always expected mutations. And as long as people aren't vaccinated, this is inevitable. We're not surprised. And so I don't know why people are reacting in this way. It's mild, very mild symptoms. Again, no one has been admitted, and it's not only from my surgery, but from other surgeries as well. We did a survey around... So while it was disappointing, especially in a country where there are concerns around vaccine uptake... She was also reassuring in terms of just how scientifically she looked at this outcome or the detection of this new variant, that it's to be expected. We need to deal with it scientifically. We need to track how it spreads, how easily it spreads. And we also need to work out how well vaccines work in terms of protecting people. She was very pragmatic and it was a sort of welcome response in terms of the panic and hysteria that we were facing. The World Health Organization has identified and tracked more than 20 variants. So why is this one specifically causing such a fuss? This particular variant has more than 30 mutations in the spike protein, which scientists are saying they haven't seen before. And their real concern is around the transmissibility of this variant, just how quickly and easily it spreads. The fears are that because there's more than 30 mutations, it might escape the immune system or it might escape the vaccines. And they're comparing what South Africa is going through now to the third wave seen in the previous months. In November, there was an average of perhaps three or 400 people being infected with COVID-19 on a daily basis. And that's gone up quite significantly. And really, that's what their worry is. So immediately after this variant was announced, there was a flurry of travel bans imposed on South Africa. 
The UK is banning travel from six African countries due to a new COVID variant that is spreading with multiple mutations. The Europe-wide response has been to restrict flights from several southern African countries. The White House taking the official step to put in place this new travel restrictions that will cover not only South Africa, but seven other countries in the region. Botswana, Zimbabwe, Namibia, Lesotho, Eswatini, Mozambique and Malawi. What did Dr. Kotsia have to say about that? She was adamant that it was entirely premature and unnecessary. It's not a South African variant. We do not know where it comes from. We know that, that it's been seen in Botswana, and we know that now it's been picked up in other countries as well. Fahmida says that's a sentiment we've heard from many other scientists and experts. Here's Salim Abdul Karim a renowned South African epidemiologist, in an interview for PBS. It's basically saying to the rest of the world that in future, if you have in place the mechanisms to identify a new variant and to identify it early, then whatever you do, don't tell the world. Keep it secret. Because what it basically is doing is punishing South Africa and making South Africa take the economic impact. President Sul Ramaphosa has also traveled around Africa in the days following the detection of this new variant. As South Africa, we stand firmly against any form of health apartheid in the fight against this pandemic. He's spoken both in other countries and in South Africa, saying that Southern African countries are being treated differently to other countries where the very same variant has been detected. The statistics do back up that claim. So let's break down some numbers. As of the recording of this episode, South Africa is reporting about 10,000 new COVID cases every day. Belgium, where Omicron cases have also been found, is reporting around 18,000. And the Netherlands has even more, nearly 22,000 new cases a day. These numbers are even more shocking when you consider that there are more than two times as many people in South Africa than in those two European countries combined. And yet, no travel bans have been announced against Belgium or the Netherlands, and many remain in place against South Africa. And those bans are having a terrible economic impact. Aside from South Africa's internal problems, COVID-19 has battered the South African economy. We've just recently seen the unemployment rate go up to almost 35%. We've seen tens of thousands of jobs lost in recent months directly linked to COVID-19, lockdowns, and international travel bans. Just from a personal experience in Cape Town, there is a hotel where we stay quite often. And throughout this period of COVID-19, that particular hotel has been shut. And every time we drove past, we'd see that it was still closed. And it would just hit home the impact that COVID-19 was having on people. They've lost their jobs. Companies, small and large, have had to close. And there continues to be this devastating economic impact. And to go back to that particular hotel, on that recent trip to Cape Town, we stayed at that hotel because they just reopened. And now, days later, travel bans again. 
are put in place against South Africa. We're just about to enter the holiday season around the world, and usually South Africa sees tens of thousands of tourists from Europe and specifically the United Kingdom. And that basically is almost not an option depending on what happens in the days to come. This economic impact is a huge part of why some people are so angry about the bans. We heard from Carol Bauer, a businesswoman and television personality in South Africa, who was immediately upset when she heard the news. As a humanitarian, I felt very strongly that there was something untoward about a world that excludes a country that says we know something about a particular variant And I think that what was uncomfortable for me was the fact that it was already known that this variant may be in other countries outside of our continent, yet somehow it was so easy to decide that South Africa has to be excluded and other African countries had to be excluded. No word on Hong Kong, Belgium, Israel that happened to have this variant as well. So Carol pulled out her laptop And in 30 minutes, she'd written a full opinion piece that she sent off to the Sunday Times. The piece quickly gained traction online. It just built up momentum and people began to really just share their views on what was happening. There was a level of honesty and integrity that I think South Africa needed to have been applauded for. And there's a level of sophistry in terms of the work that goes into research. And that's why we were amongst the nations that were developing vaccines. I honestly believe that there's been a great deal of disrespect. And as more information emerged, it was quite clear that this was a form of discrimination against African nations, something that seems so easy for the Western world to do. But Carol doesn't put the blame entirely on the Western world. She says South African leaders are also failing to stand up for themselves. I'm disappointed in the kind of leadership that leads our continent disappointed in the kind of leadership that only barks a little and then goes back and cowers. It's really unfortunate that in 2021, the world continues to treat us this way. I don't believe that the Western world is doing anything to us that we haven't given them permission to do. Of course, leaders imposing the travel bans argue they're acting in the best interest of public health safety. But that begs the question, Do travel bans actually help? I asked Fahmida what she's learned while covering this story. We've heard from experts in South Africa, um, many of them saying that travel bans are futile. This really is about people being vaccinated. We've already seen this particular variant in at least 20 countries around the world where people have traveled, where they have crossed borders, and clearly Travel bans are doing nothing to stop the spread of COVID-19 broadly and this variant in particular. There has been a number of press conferences and briefings where South Africans, in terms of exactly what is happening and trying to be as transparent as possible. And this has 
almost backfired on South Africa in that the government is saying we're transparent. We have the capability to track what's happening with COVID-19. We have flagged this particular variant. And instead of being applauded, we are being punished. And that kind of thing has also been said by the World Health Organization, that Southern Africa shouldn't be targeted in terms of these travel bans. We need to look at this as a global community and not isolate one part of the world. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa said this variant emerged partially because of vaccine inequality. The emergence of the Omicron variant should be a wake-up call to the world that vaccine inequality cannot be allowed to continue. Until everyone is vaccinated, everyone will continue to be at risk. So let's talk about vaccination. How has the vaccination rollout been in South Africa? How many people are fully vaccinated? At this stage, about 35% of the adult population has received two jabs. About 41% has received at least one jab. At one point, the South African government was criticized for how it handled the vaccine rollout. But since then, it has a significant amount of stock available. The issue of access to vaccines isn't one for South Africa. So it may not be an issue of access, but Bahmida says hesitancy is a big hindrance for South Africa's vaccine rollout. I think this is seen all over the world, where people are unsure of what's in the vaccine, misinformation, lack of understanding perhaps, and worry about the long-term effects of vaccines, given that COVID-19, as much as we've had it for more than 18 months, it's a novel coronavirus. We've not had a global pandemic like this in our lifetime. And it's difficult perhaps to grasp what to believe and what not to believe. And these are all the elements that are leading to perhaps reluctance to be vaccinated. But one of the other things for South Africa in particular, when South Africa was about to start its vaccine rollout program early in 2021, it was supposed to use the AstraZeneca vaccine. And further studies just before that rollout began showed that it was not effective against, at that time, what was the latest strain. At the start of the pandemic, Oxford AstraZeneca was considered the front-runner vaccine. But problems with its clinical trials created delays, leading to questions about dosing and how effective it is, especially in seniors. That is part of the reasons that South Africans perhaps have become skeptical around the vaccines. The government on one day says we're rolling out AstraZeneca, two days later says, oh, no, we're not. Personally, for you, reporting on this now that we are heading into yet another year of this pandemic, how have you changed your practices, your behaviors? How are you dealing with this personally? Personally, Family members have been ill. I'm sorry. I didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to shake you. No, not at all. It's just, it's, I'm so tired of COVID-19. Okay. Right. Okay. I think as a journalist, there's a lot to juggle. At the end of the day, we're covering an almost unbelievable period in our existence, I suppose. 
There's important information to put out. We want to understand what's going on. We want the public to understand what's going on. So there is that approach. But then there is also the personal impact in terms of wanting to stay safe, wanting our colleagues to stay safe, and ensuring that we still do a good job. I've personally lost two family members to COVID-19. I've had family members very sick. So it's very difficult to separate the personal anxiety and stress, which I think people all over the world are feeling. And I'm not saying journalists are special in any way. We've got frontline workers who are facing the worst circumstances. It's something that's affected people terribly. But it's been quite difficult to juggle all the elements around COVID-19 and also the feeling that it's just never-ending. As soon as there's some sort of reprieve, it feels as if there's a new variant or the lockdown stages or levels change and your life is limited. Your work has also been limited. A great part of storytelling is engaging with people, going out there, talking to them, finding stories on the ground because you have access. And now it's as if you're confined to a bureau or you're confined to a safe space. And then you feel as if nowhere's safe. Femi, I'm so sorry to hear that. And our thoughts are with you for your family members. Thank you for sharing that. No worries. And thank you for your time walking us through this. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilvey with Ney Alvarez, Ruby Zaman, Nagin Oliai, Amy Walters, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Aya Al-Milek is our team's engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tom Fenton is The Take's story editor. And Stacey Samuel is executive producer. We'll be back.